Hey, welcome to Home Church Podcast. It is a good day to have a good day. I'm Pastor Jerry Kuhn, and I want to say thank you so much for joining us today. My hope is that you will respond to the Holy Spirit as he speaks to you in and through this message today. And I believe that he will draw you into a closer relationship with Jesus Christ, where you are passionate about loving God, doing good, and being a friend. I hope that you enjoy the message today. And, uh, and I think that you wouldn't even be bored knowing what God is absolutely doing. So we want to say good morning, and we are so thankful for what God is doing. Listen, last week, um, after I brought Connor up, and after Connor stole the show, and after Connor showed me how to preach, um, I got a text from a friend. It was really funny. Um, I was, you know, he had visited and uh, hadn't seen him in a while, and, and he was like, I was waiting for the text to say, man, we enjoyed church, and you, man, you did a great job. You knocked it out of the park. And actually, his text went something like this. He said... Man, I would think that if you would find some pointers from Connor, you may just become a preacher yet. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was waiting for that comment. Enjoyed church. You preached it out of the ballpark. But he was like, man, if you'll just sit down with Connor um, and get some pointers, you'll be a preacher. And I thought to myself, man, what better way to start off like Connor would and ask you, did you this week... Did you spend some time to filling yourself up so much that you were so stuffed on God's word that when life gave you a little bit of squeeze, everything of the promises of God actually came out, nothing else? And, uh, and I, I thought about that. I really did. I know um, that you laughed, and we all laughed, and Connor made me laugh uh, so much. But man, from a young man's mouth, it says that you, we all need to be stuffed with the word of God. And I thought, man, when life, and life does... Every week, every day, life seems to squeeze us just a little bit. And the question is, what's going to come out? Um, is it fear? Is it anxiety? Or is it going to be the promises of God that you have stuffed yourself with? So I'm so thankful. Hey, I also have to say thank you to you. We had the privilege, my wife and I as alumni, we graduated in 1997 from Tecumseh, Oklahoma, and we are proud savages. We don't make statements like, if we mess up our mouth and we don't, or our spelling, we don't say, we went to Tecumseh. We don't say that, although we did go to Tecumseh, all right? But our teachers did a great job of teaching us. We didn't do a good job of learning at times, but we are proud to be alumni from Tecumseh, and uh, we had the opportunity to sit down with our um, board of educators and, and uh, sit down with um, the superintendent, Robbie, and, su and superintendent assistant, um, Brandy, and just dream some things. And one of the things that we came up with was to be able to feed the, the teachers and, and just have some fun at the end of the year. And we were able to do that. And our community, there was a lot of people from our community that helped us out. And I was so thankful. It wasn't a particular church. It wasn't a particular person. It was our community. And I was so thankful to be a part of that. My wife and I and all of you who helped were a part of our community uh, appreciating our teachers. And our teachers, they deserve that. And we, it was called Tecumseh Showdown, Savage Showdown. It was Battle of the Buildings. And there was so much going on. If you drove by uh, Friday, Friday afternoon and you saw um, all all the cars and the people perhaps at 11 o'clock lined up to get something to eat. Man, it was amazing. Uh, there were people that was uh, cooking chicken and sweating over. You know why the chicken was so good? Because there was sweat coming off the person's forehead onto the chicken. It penetrated chicken, it, it moist it, and it, penet it penetrated it so much that it tenderized it. That's what I'm saying. The sweat, the salt did. You guys are like, oh man, that chicken was so good. <laughs> um, no, I'm joking. But we had so much fun, and I have to say thank you. There was a, a lot of stories. We we'd Actually, one of the funniest events was we took the, our saw horses that are in the back. We put a little head horse head on it, 
actually looked like a goat. It could look like a, a cow. It could have been anything, but we called it a horse, and we drug it around the, the uh, basketball court, and they had to chase it and try to, to rope it, and it was lots of fun. And our teachers, I have been approached by uh, a, quite a few teachers that have seen me out, in the, in, out and about in our town, and, and they said, man, that was so much fun. We just got to relax. And, uh, and, she, and this, this teacher told me, she said, you know, to be honest with you, we dreaded it that day. We were like, we don't want to do it. Watch these games. This is stupid. And then, but when we started actually participating, it became so much fun. So thank you for, for reaching out to your community. Thank you for allowing us to uh, spend money to do that. And uh, we're so thankful. And, uh, and I realized this morning, I want you to know, I realized this morning that we are only nine months old as a church. And um, you might not be able yet to know everyone in this building. Uh, some of you have just been here for a couple weeks, and, and some of you maybe a couple months, and so you haven't been able to be introduced to everyone. But I want to introduce you to someone, because uh, we are so proud of our teachers, and I want to introduce you to Miss Phelps. Can Miss Phelps, will you raise your hand? Everybody, will you put your hands together for Miss Phelps? Miss Phelps is... Um, a principal at one of our schools, elementary, Bernard. She is so proud to be the principal at Bernard. And uh, so we were talking the other day, and she was um, just telling me that she wanted to make sure that what the progress in her classes were. Uh, she has first grade and second grade at Bernard, and so she was uh, wanted to know uh, about the progress of her one of her students and how that was looking in the class. And so she brought in little Johnny and sat John, Johnny down to ask him a little question. And she was like, now, Johnny... I need to ask you a question. If I gave you two cats and another two cats and another two cats, how many cats would you have? And Johnny said, seven. And Miss Phelps said, now, Johnny, you probably didn't hear me right. So let me, and she's worried because she, this was a new teacher that Johnny had and a new class for Johnny, a new school. And so I want to make sure Johnny was learning and progressing. And it's the end of the year. So she was like, okay, Johnny, let's say it again. Listen carefully. If I give you two cats and two more cats, and two more cats, how many would you have? And Johnny so excitedly said again, seven, I would have seven. And Jana, Miss Phelps was so nervous that he might not have learned his math in first grade and that he might not get to go to second. And so she said, okay, Johnny, let's do it this way. If you had two apples and I gave you two more apples and I gave you two more apples, how many would you have? And Johnny said, I would have six apples, Miss Phelps. And she was like, oh, okay, let's try this again, Johnny. Now listen, if I give you two cats, and I gave you two more cats, and I gave you two more cats, how many would you have? And Johnny said, I would have seven. And Miss Phelps about pulled her hair out, and she said, oh my goodness, Johnny, how do you come up with seven? He goes, I already have a cat. All right, so that's not a true story. Lance is not here to pick on, so I had to pick on a Phelps, all right? There's the only other Phelps in here. And so we are so excited. Listen, we are thankful for our teachers. And uh, will you put your hands together for all of our teachers? They have survived another year. Amen. And they have impacted so many students. We're so thankful. And, uh, and this morning at the end of service, we want to congratulate some of our seniors as well. And, and uh, we're so proud of what God is doing in their lives. And, and, but I'm, I, for this morning, I just have a few minutes because we have so much going on. And I'm excited to continue in our series called Missions. And next week, next Sunday, we're going to lay out um, 
um, some plan of where we're going to invest our money in when it comes to missions and, and locally and regionally and then also as well as um, globally. And, and uh, we're excited about that because that's your money. That's what you are pouring into the church. And we want to do that. We want to financially move the mission, which is redeeming man. Amen? And so we're excited about that. So I'm excited to continue a series. And part one was understanding the heart of the Father. We had to first of all say, okay, we, there is a mission, but what is God's, what's God's heart to this mission? And uh, we simply stated and continue to state that the Father's heart has always been uh, to have fellowship with men. And it's through, in relationship with us. And so the mission is to redeem that. It's to redeem man. It's to bring man back into communion with God. And, uh, and that mission started with Jesus, and it has not ended. It has been transferred to you and I. We have the same mission, and that is to proclaim the good news. It is to share Jesus with people so they have the opportunity to be redeemed, uh, to be saved. And we're so thankful. We, we talked about three different things. We talked about that God's heart is so compassionate to those who are lost. God's heart is patient to those who are lost, and God is relentless. And if God is compassionate, and God is patient, and God is relentless, then so should you and I. We should, too, be compassionate, patient, and relentless to those who are without Jesus. And, uh, and so that's our mission as well, the heart of the Father to be passed into us. Part number two was understanding the mission. We said, hey, listen, okay, we understand the heart of the Father. Now, what is actually the mission um, in which we talked about redeeming man, that his house may be filled. I love the story as all of a sudden the servant goes out and he's going to the highways and the byways and the hedges and he's going everywhere to find someone to come to the dinner. And I love that once he does one step, he comes back and he says, Master, I've done it. And he's like, but there's still room. And I want you to know today, there is still room for one more. There is still room. So keep doing the mission because the Father's house must be filled. I made this statement last week and it's done stuck with me all week. And that is the fact that I cannot, I will not, and I dare not let them, my family, my community, continue to run in the direction of hell. I, that is something, that is a statement, that is a declaration that we are making as an individual, but also as a church that we cannot, we will not, we dare not let our community, our families run in the direction of hell without standing in front of them and proclaiming the good news to them. And, um, and the reason why, we talked about my, my son and I, I threw him under the bus about asking the question why all the time, and that is simply so that our house, God's house, the Father's house, may be field. And I want to just take a few minutes. Time doesn't allow me to really um, get in depth in some of these areas, but I want to try to communicate as well as I can. One of the areas that I'm probably the worst at is communication. And you're like, wow, and you're up there preaching. Yes! Congratulations to you. But I want to take a few minutes to communicate on the subject that truly itself could be a series. The subject itself could, we could take months on this series, on this topic alone. So I have a few minutes, and I want to try to communicate as, as good as I can to get across to you. And the subject tonight is understanding the barriers. There is a mission. Your, your, your mission is exactly the same mission that Jesus was, and that was to pro proclaim the good news, is to redeem man, to be able to, to be a light into this world, to share God's love so that people will look at us and say, I want what they have, and I want to serve the God that they serve. And I tell you, there are barriers for you and I at times. To be able to share the mission, to be able to share the gospel, there are things that we will come up to as roadblocks that people have in their lives that they're 
They disconnect when we first say Jesus. They disconnect from us. We're like, I don't want anything to do with the church thing. I want nothing to do with the gospel. I want nothing to do with that. Why? Because there's a barrier that's there. And perhaps we could spend months on trying to talk about this, but, but there is a, a barrier that stands in the way to redeem man, and we want to talk about three of those. And the truth is that these barriers that we will identify this morning hinder not only us as individuals reaching people, but us as a church. Meaning that you and I as individuals has barriers, but the church has created a lot of barriers in itself. And when we talk about these three, and listen, I want, you to, I want you to buckle up because there are going to be some things that we talk about that may not settle well with you. And that's okay. Um, because they didn't settle with, well with me when God was, was preaching it to me. And, uh, and it's just being able to identify them so we can remove them. Because the heart of the Father is to reach men, is to redeem men. And if there are things in the way of reaching men, we got to get them removed so we can actually do the will of the Father. That we can actually do the mission. And, uh, and so barriers are simply this. It's their fences. They are other obstacles that prevent movement or access. How many of you guys have ever met someone that, man, their, their heart was walled up? Man, they, they, they already had, their heart was hardened, but there was this wall that only allowed you to come so far to them and would not let you penetrate. I had one of those walls when I was young. I wouldn't let people come into my life because I felt like those people were going to hurt me. And so if I can keep you at that distance, it was good. I had a barrier that only allowed you to come so far. And so many times in our lives as we go on these missions, we find that there is this barrier that prevents movement, prevents access um, into someone's life. And we got to figure that out, right? That's the journey. That's the challenge. You invite people to come to church, and you're like, there's something that's hindering it. I just don't know why. And as more that you're around them, the more that you witness to them, the more you share the gospel, then you figure out what those barriers perhaps are. But we also realize that in the foreign world missions, when we look at the foreign world, we look at Asia, we look at Africa, we look at China, we look at Indonesia, there are so many barriers in trying to get the gospel to them. It's like this. For an example, uh, we find barriers, like geographical barriers. Trying to reach Indonesia. I don't know if you know this. Just for an example, Indonesia is more than 14,000. made up of more than 14,000 islands. I didn't realize that. It has an estimated population of 2,255 million people. Wow. Separated in 14,000 islands is 255 million people. And the majority of them are Muslim. To be able to reach that area, we find that islands are miles apart from each other. So it becomes very difficult because there are so many barriers because of the geographic area to get the gospel to them. I'm thankful for technology, but even technology in that area is a barrier. And we find that even our missionaries in that field find a geographical barrier. They also find legal barriers. Did you realize today... That in some countries around the world, sharing the gospel is absolutely forbidden. You could be thrown in jail. Your life could be taken from you. It is illegal. It's a legal barrier. Did you know even in America, there was a time in the recent years that they were petitioning to be able to ask for the notes of the preachers to see what they were preaching about, to see if it was hate crime or not, because they spoke the truth of God's word? against perhaps different lifestyles. And they were like, we're going to imprison preachers for hate crimes. It became almost illegal. We're not there yet in America, but in other countries it's illegal. 
And we have these legal barriers that we, that we find, that governments, that in some countries that pra- practicing Christianity is illegal, face fines, imprisonments, and beatings, and even to death. There's cultural boundaries as well. When it comes to the, the foreign mission field, there's cultural boundaries. Did you know that in Japan, that Christianity and strong emotions are seen as weaknesses? I mean, listen, make an evangel- it makes evangelism very much difficult. Outspoken Christians are very rare there because it shows weaknesses in Japan. And so even cultural barriers find itself in trying to reach the world. Educational barriers. Even all these foreign worlds that we are sending money to and we got missionaries in, they are facing themselves with these barriers that they are trying every day to figure out how do we get around, how do we remove this, how do we get through these barriers, how do we reach the people for Jesus? Because that's what we do, right? Barriers stop the movement. They stop access. And be able to get to those people on the other side of the mountain, how do we figure that out? How do we make that happen? And they do. And God provides economic barriers. And we may find some of these barriers in in America as well. Not as perhaps prominent as we do in a foreign world. But we find that. Even economic barriers make it so difficult for us to reach the world with the gospel. But for us... Those are the foreign world. And I told you, listen, we will support the foreign mission and we will send our children and maybe some of you to the mission field someday. That's my heart. I feel like if God calls one of our people to the mission field, we should do everything to get them to the mission field. And so maybe one of us will go to the mission field and check up on what God is doing in the mission field. But I got to tell you, my heart has always been for the local, for the Jerusalem. And I got to tell you today that we will attempt to reach our Jerusalem our Judea, and perhaps our hometown. And the barriers are not geographic, it's not legal, it's not cultural, it's not educational, and it's not about the economic. I believe that these barriers in time become a spiritual barrier. Listen, I, I, I want to share this with you. I believe that there are barriers that have become spiritual barriers in making it more difficult to reach people with the gospel. And, and I, I believe that spiritual barriers are walls or there are other obstacles that prevent access of the gospel to the heart of man. I told you earlier that I have met people that had a wall, that they just won't let you get only so close to them. And there's this wall, and I believe it's a spiritual wall that they have put up not to let people very close, and especially for the gospel to penetrate. And every one of us perhaps has dealt with a few barriers in our life. Maybe, maybe some of you, maybe you put up a wall that protected the gospel to penetrate because you saw so much hypocrisy within maybe your family or within the church, and that was a wall to you. You're like, I don't want to go there. I mean, they're all hypocritical there. And it became a wall. And when someone would come to you and say, hey, listen, we would like to invite you to church, you're like, I'm not going to church. I mean, why would I want to go to church? I live just as good as those guys do. And then all of a sudden hypocrisy becomes a wall or a barrier for the gospel to truly penetrate or access the heart. And I think that if the truth be said, all of us have perhaps been in there. And we've had to deal with that, that barrier. And maybe, maybe it's church hurt. I would lie to you that if I haven't said that I haven't been hurt by church people, but I also have been hurt on the job by people too. I've been hurt at school. Um, It happens, and I get it, but i got to tell you that it becomes a barrier, though. I've talked to a lot of people about church, um, and and they were like, you know what? I I used to go to church. 
I went there. Just not my thing anymore. And the more that you got digging into it, you find out that it was because something happened within the church that really penetrated them and it hurt them so bad that they began to build a wall that they were like, I didn't, that's not going to happen again. I'm not going to let that happen. And it was church hurt. Maybe it was just I saw too much. Um, I, I think sometimes we, we get involved in church and we see things and we don't realize that, that church people are just, they're people. <laughs> They're people in need of God, and they're not perfect yet. And we see too much, and we're like, ah, you know what? Um, church is just not for me. But we can continue on with a lot of different barriers like that. But I want to give you three today. I want you to give me the opportunity, and I'm looking at the clock. I want you to give me the opportunity to give you three barriers that I think is so tough to get through. And the church has been struggling with these three barriers. And as individuals, I think we've been struggling with these three barriers for an absolutely long time. And so I think today is good for us to say, you know what? There is a mission to be take place. We understand the heart of the Father. We understand the mission. That is so his, his house may be filled. And so we need to understand the barriers so we can remove those, break through those, um, so we can reach the loss at any cost. And uh, so let me share that with you today. Here's, here's barrier number one. You ready? You guys buckled up? I heard a click, so here we go. Barrier number one is tradition. There's so much tradition within all of our lives as individuals, but us as a church at times, that tradition becomes a barrier. I believe the church has actually been battling tradition for quite some time. Um, and, it, and it looks, sometimes it tends to look like generations versus generation. I've been in church a long time, and, and all of a sudden, as the church begins to evolve or change, and some of you guys have been in church a long time, too, and you look at the church services, and you're like, wow, the church services are much different than it was when I was 13. Um, church services are much different than when I was 20. The church services are much more, much different than when I was 40. I mean, the preacher actually had a suit and a tie on. This guy has a jacket and a, <laughs> and a t-shirt. My goodness. Church has changed. It's evolved. And all of a sudden, it looks like it's a generation versus a generation battle. And it's not. It's never been. Oh, it looks like it. It tends to be. But it's more of a tradition battle or barrier that has been in, in place. Um, but it's, it's tradition. There's a story of a young lady. I love this story. I've shared it a couple of times. I don't think I've shared it here, so let me share it. There's a young lady who got married to the, uh, to the love of her life. And she went, about three months into it, she thought, you know, it's time to prepare my favorite meal that my mother made. And so she got out the roasting pan. She got the ham. She cut the ham on this end and ham on this end, put it in the pan. And she was so excited to make ham, mashed potatoes, and green beans for her lovely bride. Lovely groom, husband, not bride. It is 2022, but it's not. This story happened before then. So we find that, I'm so sorry. Um, I forgot where I was. So she makes this dinner, and the husband was so excited. She's, he's eating the meal, and he said, baby, I just got a question. I've noticed that when you make your mom's favorite meal, um, you cut the ends of the ham. Why do you cut the ends of the ham? And she said, I don't know. That's how mom did it. And she, he said, oh, that's how mom did it? He said, yeah, and it turns out perfect every time. Every time I cut the hand, it's juicy, it's tender, and it's so good. Why do I need to change? And he said, okay. So he calls up his mother-in-law and said, mother-in-law, I'm so, I love the ham that you have passed down, that ham recipe that you have passed down to your daughter. Oh, it's so amazing. But I have one question. Why do you cut the ends of the ham? I mean, I asked her, and she said she 
She did it because you did it. So why did you cut the hens and ham? She goes, I don't know. That's how mom did it. And, I was, and the husband's got a puzzle. He's like, okay, well, luckily for him, grandma was still alive. So he calls up grandma and says, grandma, I have a question. I love the ham recipe that you have passed down from generation to generation. But the question is, why, why does your granddaughter cut the ends of the ham? Why did you? She said that she did it because her mom and her mom does it because you cut the ends of the ham. Why did you cut the ends of the ham? And she said, because my pan was too small. She couldn't get the whole ham in the pan. So she cut each end of the pan, uh, the ham to get it in the pan. That's the only way she could cook the ham. But from generation to generation, they only did it because that's how it was done. And we find that even in the church world. That's how it's been done. And some of us, we get into that routine that we're like, listen, bless God. That's the way church is supposed to look. And that's the way church is supposed to be ran. And I don't know any way different. So if you do it differently, it's wrong. And we find that perhaps in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10, God begins to deal with traditions. Because if not careful, tradition will actually dictate what truth looks like. It becomes truth for you. That's how you measure truth is by your traditions, which is not right. You measure truth by truth. I want you to look at this. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 through 10, it says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Listen to what's being said by Paul. Rooted and built up in him, established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the element spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And the element spirits were perhaps more um, like pagan ideology is what it was. And so um, some of you are like, what's the element spirits of the world? It pagan ideology, different religions, and not according to Christ. Christ is always going to be the center. And we were talking about this uh, earlier today, Pastor uh, James and I and uh, um, Pastor Leroy, we were talking and we were just talking about, hey, listen, if, if a religion or denomination doesn't focus on Jesus and Jesus is not um, the way, um, then, then you, you get away from it. You don't partner with them. And, and that's so true. Jesus is the way. Verse 9 says this, For in him the wholeness, fullness of deity dwells, in bo dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. I have to tell you today, there is a lot of tradition that has been passed down from generation to generation. It's just made man made up. It's just man made up. And, and God is, Jesus, here, here Paul is telling us, he says, listen, I want you to be careful. I want you to stay focused and centered on Jesus more than anything else. Focus on Jesus. Not man-made traditions, um, not how church services are supposed to be ran or anything like that or how it looks. Just focus on Jesus. And today I've told you, many people have asked me, Pastor, um, what kind of church do you pastor? And I'm like, I pastor a church that loves Jesus. I have a, I pastor a church of people who absolutely love Jesus, and they're all from different backgrounds. They, some grew up Methodist, some grew up Baptist, some grew up in different other denominations, but the truth is we love Jesus, and we have the opportunity to come together and worship him. And he's like, wow, we just love Jesus. And I think that in these, in this scripture, Jesus, I mean, Paul is telling the church here, he's like, listen, I want you to be rooted in Jesus, founded in him. And don't depart from that. Don't let human tradition dictate what you do and what you think might be right. You see, let us preach Jesus. And however that looks, 
Let's do it. There's nothing wrong. The mission is to redeem man. Uh, and, and I know that some of you, um, tradition means a lot. And, and there's good tradition. And there's tradition that perhaps is not so good. But, but today I want you to know that traditions can be a barrier. Traditions is not, if traditions are not kept in check by God's word, I have to let you know it becomes the truth that judges the sinner. Think about that just for a moment. If traditions are not kept in check, it becomes the truth that we judge the world by. We've gone through a, a season of what we want to determine what is holy. And we say, oh, that's, that doesn't look holy. You, you don't have your hair in a bun. You don't have a skirt on. Or you don't have this. Or you, you wear makeup. Or we go through these seasons of traditions and we say, because you don't fit our box, you must not be holy. You must not be a child of God. God, let us be careful not to do that. Let us be careful to say, you know what? We're going to focus and center on Jesus. And Jesus is what we're going to preach. And Jesus is what we're going to teach. And Jesus will set the captives free. And let us continue to, tradition should never take the place of Jesus. That's when we know they become barriers. If traditions becomes taking the place of Jesus, they become a barrier. And people outside who are lost, they look at the church and say, you're filled with traditions? I don't know if I can meet up with your man-made traditions. I don't know if I can meet up to your standards. Not God's standards, but your standards. Your standards seem to be much holier than what God has for us. Mark chapter 7, verses 5 through 9 and 13 says this, And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, listen to this, this is really a great statement that's being made here. Mark said, And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, asked Jesus, Why do your disciples not walk accordingly to the tradition of the elders? He says, But eat with defiled hands. And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written, Man, Jesus was bold. This, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is so far from me. In vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the truth or the commandment of God in order to establish your own tradition. Oh, wow. The Pharisees was just confused because his disciples was not following the law and you got to remember the pharisees they loved god they just didn't understand jesus got to understand that they loved god and they felt like they were doing everything they could do to implement the law and keep people in check with god they just didn't understand jesus and when jesus shows up on the scene he's like listen it's all about me it's not about your man-made traditions because the pharisees not only had the law but they had things that they added to the law they had so many other laws if Jesus said, I want you to fast one week, they're going to fast four weeks because that, that made them holier. you got to understand, they had so many different traditions. And Jesus said, I'm throwing traditions out the window. We're going to do things a little bit different. Things are going to be centered around me now. And today, i got to tell you today, there is a world out there that looks at the traditions of the church and your traditions and say, I want nothing to do with it. It becomes a barrier. And what they need and what they want the most is just Jesus. They just want Jesus. So let, let's not let tradition be a barrier. And let's, let's say, you know what? Whatever it takes, we're going to share Jesus. Sometimes in the church world, and I don't know if you went through this movement. Most of you have. 
um, if you've been in church any, any lengths of time, there was a lot of, uh, again, it looks like generation versus generation, but there was this movement, and when it came to the worship side, went from just perhaps choirs, and, and, and that's the way it was supposed to be. You have to have a choir. If you don't have a choir, then you're not doing it right. And then it went from hymnals, and if, you don't, if you're not doing it with hymnals, then you're just not doing it right. And then it went to choruses, and if you're not doing it choruses, you're not doing it right. And then it went to praise and worship, as you see now with a five-piece band, and if you don't do it that way, you're not doing it right. It's just traditions. It's just things that we pass down and how we do ministry, and, and that should never dictate truth. We should simply say, we're not going to let it be a barrier, and we're just going to love Jesus. And, and uh, here's barrier number two today. Denominations. I think as we try to do the mission of the Father, and as we're reaching people for the lost, we find that, that denomination, which I think is a good thing at times, and, and was created for a good thing, um, has done some damage to our world, and has done damage into the mission and, and let me share that with you um, I have said on many different occasions that I believe that denominations are good but what has happened is that it has really divided the big church the big C the church it has divided the church and has caused confusion with the sinner did you realize that listen I have been a part of the Pentecostal denomination background all my life since I was 13 years old since I got saved I have been a part of a charismatic Pentecostal De denomination and that's that's my bringing up and I and I have to tell you today I've never allowed that to be an hindrance to my view of the overall church I never let my Pentecostal beliefs go hmm because you don't believe the way I believe you're not part of the church I've never allowed that I've heard all the jokes I've heard all the Baptist jokes. Pentecostal people are good at making up Baptist jokes. We would say, hey, we would say stuff like this, like, uh, hey, you know that the Baptists are going to be the first one in heaven. And you're like, oh, why? He said, all the dead in Christ shall rise first. You know, we've heard those jokes. Um, and I'm like, why do we, why are we doing that? No, listen, I'm just being honest. Why, why are we attacking the church? Why, why are we attacking another denomination, another set of doctrine? I have, to, I have to let you know that it has confused the lost. They don't know. I mean, like, I mean, who has it right? I mean, does the Pentecostal people have it right? Does the, does the Baptist people have it right? I mean, does the Methodist have it right? Who has it right? Who's got it figured out? And you have lost people out there that are in need of Jesus, but they don't know which Jesus to have. The Jesus of the Methodist people? The Jesus of the ba Baptist people? The Jesus of the Pentecostal people? Do you see where the confusion could lie? And denomination has become a barrier. I... This is what bothers me. Most people tend to be more proud to be called by a denominational tag than they are just a child of God. Be like, hey, where do you go to church? I'm a Baptist. I'm a Baptist. Hey, where, where do you go to church? I'm a, I'm a Pentecostal. And, and it's easy for them. And they, they feel, whatever reason, they tend to be more proud of a denominational tag than they are saying, I'm a child of God. I love Jesus. But most of the time, I would say almost 80% of the time, if you run up against someone that you're inviting to church, they will give you their doctrinal background denominational statement. Hey, listen, I'm Baptist. And I think that becomes a barrier. I, thought it, I really thought as a young child it was so confusing. And I think that as we approach our community and as we approach our loved ones and if we, as we approach uh, with the love of Christ and the heart of the Father in this mission of redeeming man, we, gotta, we must say, listen, it's not about a denomination. 
It's not, a, it's not a competition between us and any other church that may be a denomination out there. It's not. It's about the mission. It's about the love of God um, expressing through Jesus Christ into our lives. That's what it is. And we must be a part of that. John chapter 17, verses 14 through 20, 23. I want you to look at this. It says this. It says, I have given them your word. Listen to what Jesus, Jesus is praying for his disciples. I love this these set of scriptures here in John chapter 17, Jesus is with his disciples. He's praying for them. And he makes a powerful statement. And I'm not saying that this is a complete thing against denominations because I don't think it is. I think it's what it's saying is that the children of God should be one no matter what denomination you're a part of. No matter what doctrine or statements that you may cling to or how you feel the scriptures read. If you believe in the gifts of the Spirit or if you don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. So if you believe this way, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again, that's what connects us. And we should not attack any other denomination. And, and I love this because Jesus says, I have given them your word. He's talking to his Father and he's praying for his disciples. And the word has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, Father. He said, but that you keep them from the evil one. That they, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. That's you and I, a part of the mission. And for your sake, I have consecrated myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Thank God for sanctification. I do not ask for these only, but for all of those who will believe in me through their word. Me and you. He prayed for us. Not just his disciples, but for all of us who believe today. And verse 21 says, and that they may all be one, just as you, my Father, are in me, I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Do you see the unity there? See, denominations, as I have said, has caused a division among the church, and there's not unity. It's not that it's bad. I'm not, please, I am not bashing denominations. I I'm, I'll never would do that. But what I'm saying is if we're not careful, denomination becomes a barrier. And man, it doesn't unite the church in itself. And I love it here because he says, listen, I believe that when we become one, then everyone will believe that you sent me. Verse 21, or verse 22 says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them as you have loved me. Wow, what a mission that we have as different denominations to be able to say, hey, we got to come together as one, because that is how the world is going to see that God sent Jesus, and Jesus loves them too. That's the only way is when we become one. And denominations have become barriers where we actually compete against each other. We actually think we may have it right and they have it wrong. And we have to be very careful. And so for all of us who have grown up in different denominations, it's easy to hold on to those traditions. It's easy to hold on to those thought process. And it's easy for us to think that maybe we arise to the top a little faster than all the others. So God help us not to do that. Let us not, as we are trying to get the mission across, let us not let denomination be a barrier. Here's barrier number three today. This is where it's going to get pretty rocky. Because it deals with us. 
Self-righteousness. Have you ever met someone who went to church and this is turn, this is a turn off for me, and I'm a preacher. I'm just telling you right now, I don't want to deal with people or new to, nor do I want to rub shoulders with a preacher that comes across like he has it all figured out and he is here and I am there. I cannot handle that. Um, I cannot handle someone who is holier than thou. And man, there is so many of that. And it happens within the church, but it happens in our lives as individuals. And it becomes a barrier to those who are lost. They don't want nothing to do with you. You actually repel them instead of compel them. We need to compel people to be a part of the church because his house needs to be full. But when you are self-righteous, I got to tell you, it repels people. They want nothing to do with you. Self a barrier, a self-righteous barrier is one that judges the sins of others while overlooking their own sin. Have you seen anybody like that? They could judge someone else's sin, but they can't see their own sin. It's like they, they see your speck in your eye, but they don't see the log in their eye. It's the self-righteous barrier that if not careful, Jesus says, you hypocrite. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 5, it will not be up there. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Listen, listen, we cannot let self-righteous be a barrier. Uh, here's the second thing. Self-righteousness barrier judges others based on a selective standards and not of God's word. Sometimes we, we take some selective standards out of God's word for our lives and we want to be able to judge everybody else on those standards instead of the whole word of God. Being self-righteous and it becomes a barrier and it hinders us from the movement or the access into someone's life this morning self-righteous barriers is, is more concerned about external conformity than the true inner godliness i mean people who are self-righteous they they want to put on a show but they never want to change the inside oh they look good Boy, do they talk the talk, but they just can't walk it because nothing has changed on the inside. And man, that becomes a barrier to those who are out there, those who are truly searching for something that changed your life because you have always heard that there is a whole shape around, shape whole, God-shaped whole in all of us, and we have been trying to stuff it with anything and everything that doesn't fit it. Only God will fit it. And there's a world out there that's looking at us self-righteous people and say, I don't want nothing to do with that. They have judged me according to some kind of selective standards that they can't even live up to themselves. This morning, self-righteous, this self-righteousness barrier is not interested in helping others grow in godliness, but only to gain some kind of following. Not really, I'm not... People who are self-righteous and it becomes a barrier. They're not worried about really seeing some kind of change in your life. They just want to see how many people they can have coming. It's become self-righteous. Here's the last one on these self-righteous barriers. It justifies himself by comparing himself to, with others or blaming others for his own sins. Have you ever seen someone like that? Oh, it was your fault. <laughs> mom, if you wouldn't have gave me that phone, I wouldn't have looked at that porn. It's all your fault, Mom. We want to blame others for our sins. And this becomes a barrier. Listen, this is the mission. The mission is to redeem men. The mission is for me and you to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we find ourselves stuck in this barrier of self-righteousness, it, it hinders the movement of the gospel into the lives of people. I want to share it with you as the band comes this morning. 1 Corinthians 
chapter 6, verse 8 through 11 says this. It says, but you yourselves wrong and defraud. Listen to this. This is Paul. <laughs> Paul in chapter 1 of Corinthians, he chastised, if it's the word I can use. He takes the church to the whooping shed. And he says, listen, there's so much that's going on that's wrong. He says, you have become so self-righteous. And he says, you've got to stop it. It's becoming a barrier. He's writing from prison. Listen, to he's writing from prison trying to take care of church issues. And he says, listen, he said in verse 8, he says, but you yourselves has wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither sexual, immoral, or nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revivalers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now listen to this verse 11. This is where sometimes we forget. It says, And such were some of you. Paul's writing to the church and he said, you have forgotten something. You thought you were all high and mighty and you're looking down on these sinners and you forgot that you once was one. He said, he makes this list of things that won't inherit the kingdom of God and he says this, it's powerful in verse 11. And such were some of you. So were some of you. You fell among those lists of things that won't inherit the kingdom of God. He said, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He says, but you are washed and you are sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I hope that today you could see as we identify these barriers, there are some of the barriers that are big. Traditions, denominations, self-righteousness. I think self-righteousness is the one that we see the most, right? We really do. And man, people are like, don't want to be a part of that. Oh, you think you're better than me. I sometimes feel bad, I got to tell you this, because um, <clears throat> I've been told on many different occasions, well, you don't look like a preacher. Well, great. <laughs> I work a full-time job, and I've shown up to some of your jobs, some of your businesses, and I have holes in my, my jeans, and, and, um, and I got sweat, and I'm dirty, and, and I, probably doesn't look, I probably don't look like a preacher at all. And sometimes, I, and I'll be honest, sometimes I'll walk, if I see you, I may walk the opposite direction, because I hate for you to go, that's my pastor. <laughs> That's the guy that I go to church with right there. You know, uh, the one with the holy jeans, that's the guy. I went to, uh, Gordon Cooper was laying some floor, and, and Ashley Roger was there, and, and um, I saw her in the hallway, and she just talked to me and talked to me, and I was like, she's not embarrassing me. That's great. <laughs> but I've been to job sites, and, and just because I work, I perhaps don't look like the preacher. And for that, I apologize at times. But I got to tell you today, it definitely doesn't matter what I wear. It doesn't matter, it does matter to some degree what we wear, right? <laughs> Let's keep some clothes on. It matters what's really inside of our heart. 
I had a gentleman one time, I was traveling the state, and I love it because this guy's my one of my really good friends when it comes to ministries now, ministers. And, and I remember sitting down with him, and he, and he said to this, he said, you know, if you would wear a suit coming to our area, our region, more of my people, my church, and more of the other church would probably come to the rally if you would wear a suit because, you know, we, we just, that's our tradition around here. We wear suits. And I remember looking at the guy and I said, you know what? I'll wear a suit. I, I didn't mean to bother you. I didn't mean to offend you. If me not wearing a suit offends you, I'll wear a suit. But I need you to know something. And he said, what's that? And I said, the anointing that God has placed upon my life doesn't change if I have a suit or if I have blue jeans and a shirt on. But it's okay. I will fulfill your tradition by wearing a suit and a tie. I spent one year wearing a suit and a tie, two hours in a, two in a, almost three hours in a vehicle with a suit and a tie, there and back, and that pastor and other pastors didn't come very often at all. So it didn't matter. But they noticed one thing, the anointing didn't change. Tradition changes. Denominations sometimes fell us. And self-righteousness, man, it has a bad scent that gives to God. It puts off a bad scent. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more messages or find a service time, you can visit us at our website, homechurchtecumsa.com, for more information. And thank you again. And until next time, love God, do good, and be a friend. Be blessed.